Hi, I'm Rory, founder and CEO of Isla Health, and femtech to me means equality. Welcome to Femtech Focus with Dr. Brittany Barreto, exploring the past, present, and future of women's health and wellness. Welcome to the Femtech Focus podcast, where we have meaningful and provocative conversations with femtech experts. These academics, doctors, and innovators tell us about the past, present, and future of women's health and wellness. I'm your host, Dr. Brittany Barreto, and today's episode is brought to you by Witham. Witham is a forward-thinking, technology-driven advisory and accounting firm committed to helping companies be more profitable, efficient, and productive in today's complex business environment. Witham's dedicated Femtech team is proud to partner with the members of the Femtech community. Get to know their team at witham.com backslash femtech. Okay, Fem fans, before I introduce today's guest, I want to tell you about our new publication. It's a report on the femtech landscape. This white paper outlines women's health industry based on Femtech Focus's proprietary research and databases. Some highlights of the report include that the market is worth $1 trillion, that's trillion with a T, and there's been 105 Femtech exits that have happened since 1990, and 50% of those exits have happened in the last five years. If you want to read the full report, go to femtechfocus.org backslash resources, and be sure to use the data to further your goal in women's health and reference Femtech Focus. Alrighty, so in today's episode, I interview Rory Staten, the founder and CEO of Isla Health. Isla Health is tackling autoimmunity. They are on a mission to improve the healthcare experience for autoimmune patients, which disproportionately are female. Isla Health uses data to bring the invisible into view, to support shared decision-making with the care team that listens to the patient, and to develop a personalized care plan that works for the patient's life. Isla empowers its users to understand and manage their symptoms with online education, supportive communities, and expert care from a board-certified doctor. Sounds like the femtech trifecta if I've ever heard of it. To learn more about Isla Health, visit Isla Health. That's A I L A Health.com. Enjoy the episode. Hey, Rory, welcome to the show. Hey, Britt. Thanks so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Of course. Um, let's kick off your interview learning more about you. Um, you said you just came home from Tahoe this Memorial Day weekend. That's so awesome. Where are you located now? Uh, yeah, I'm based out of the Bay Area in Oakland, okay. California. So um, I've been out here and yeah, I just drove up for the weekend for the holiday. It was really nice to unplug and unwind for a few days and get back at it now. So Founders, not be afraid, founders. Take a day. Take a day yeah. to get off the phone. You, Full, I wholeheartedly I agree. Yeah. I get my best business ideas on like sides of mountains, honestly. Yeah. So. <laughs> we were, uh, we were off trailing this weekend and, uh, it was, which was a first for me. I was a little scared. We weren't going to make it down, but finally we did. <laughs> so it was pretty fun. That's awesome. Well, tell us more about, you know, your personal background. Where are you from originally? What did you study uh, and what are you working on now? Yeah, awesome. So I'm actually originally from the Bay Area. However, I spent about 12 years on the East Coast. I went back East for undergrad, did undergrad in human biology, 
got interested in healthcare, started a career in kind of digital health consulting and the life sciences industry, worked in New York for a number of years, and then finally made it back here to the West Coast again, just finished my MBA at Cal uh, last May, and yeah, launched Isla Health out of that. So um, really, I've always kind of had a focus and passion on how digital is transforming healthcare and access to information and, you know, now kind of utilizing that to launch the company. So um, when you say you started uh, to look at digital health, how long ago was that? Because what I'm interested in knowing is, <laughs> were you starting to get into digital health when people were like, what the heck is digital health, you know, or was it already? Yeah. Yeah, it was in like 2012. Um, so almost 10 years ago, I remember sitting uh, with the Teladoc guys at some conference when they were a small startup. So it's kind of interesting. Um, and then kind of beating the drum on why, you know, paying attention to kind of consumerization of healthcare services, information, how kind of the internet's been this great equalizer and giving access to clinical content and education information to patients. And so really kind of focusing in on those trends around, you know, patient empowerment and advocacy really to bring forth kind of new treatments, new, new study opportunities for these patient communities and kind of niche chronic illness areas. Hmm. Awesome. Well, what is Isla Health? Yeah. So thanks so much for asking. We're building a virtual care platform for patients living with uh, long-term complex chronic illnesses, focusing specifically on autoimmune diseases um, really important to me. I've got a number of friends and family that have suffered from long-term uh, chronic autoimmune conditions, kind of seen their diagnostic journey, which is incredibly challenging and stressful and thought, hey, you know, there's got to be a better way where we can actually give more personalized care um, to patients living with these diseases because everyone has uh, kind of a different expression of those diseases. And so how can we use data and technology to do that? And that's how Isla was born. Love it. Well, you are on the Femtech Focus podcast. Why are you on the Femtech Focus podcast? What does this have to do with women's health? Such a great question and something I'm so passionate about. Um, in fact, so there's about one in six Americans that are estimated to be living with an autoimmune condition. Only about half of those have a formal diagnosis yet. When you drill into that, about 75% of cases are women. So it heavily skews female are still trying to uncover the science behind why that is. Some people think it's hormonal, some genetic component. Um, it's not a hundred percent understood. Um, but you know, that's one of the reasons why I really am interested and passionate about this space is just building greater health equity. Um, because you know, why the heck are all these women living with these debilitating diseases and not, not a ton getting done about it. You know, we do yeah. have pockets in the scientific community, but how can we aggregate resources and bring about real change in the space. Yes. Well, I want to talk about two things real quick in terms of chronic illness. We're going to talk for 30 minutes about it, but mm -hmm. two, two things that came up for me right now was um, one, we have been doing at Femtech Focus market research on like, what is the real value of the women's health market in general? Like, what is the amount of money here? And um, I realized that what we needed to do is break down what is women's health find all those market sizes, add it up. Right. And uh -huh. so one of the, as you just said, segments is chronic conditions um, because these chronic illnesses disproportionately affect women. And so we incorporated like percentages, like if 70% of patients are women, then we'll take 70% of the market, say that that's the market value for women. It was crazy to me. Chronic illness was by far the biggest market, like yeah. by leaps and bounds over femme hygiene, 
breast cancer, even like every, it, it was number one. Did you know that? Like, are you trying to scream from the rooftops that this is a huge market or how is it? Um, <laughs> yeah, it's a huge market. It's largely underserved. Um, and I think that has a lot to do with a number of factors, right? There's high cost uh, treatments in this space. Um, that's one. There's a lot of failing on therapies and the way it's set up for how people can kind of step to the different therapy options um, as they're trying out different therapeutics that might work for them. And then there's also just like the, I guess, I wouldn't call them invisible costs, but like the secondary costs or like loss of productivity, uh, leaving workforce, you know, just all of that um, kind of extracting uh, stuff out of the economy and stuff like that. So I think that there's direct costs from just actual care and then how much patients are leveraging the healthcare system to get access to specialists and other providers that they need. Um, but then there's also this other cost of, uh, you know, loss of function and how does that impact your ability to, um, you know, sustain an income and stuff like that. So, yep. Yep. No, definitely. Um, the other thing that came up for me was this idea of, we still don't know why women are disproportionately affected by autoimmune disease. And I feel like I keep hearing different hypotheses. I'd love to hear some of yours. One I heard was that, um, you know, trauma and PTSD and emotions are stored in the body. And so it's just that women are like traumatized more or stressed out more. And so their immune systems are more active. Uh, that was one hypothesis yeah. I heard. This past weekend, I heard a woman, she's a, you know, a big believer in Eastern medicine, essential oils. And she said, mm -hmm. oh, the autoimmune disease uh, is because of how many cleaning products women are using. And I was just like, man. We have no idea. Like all of these sound maybe right, but I mean, what do you think? You're the one who's working in this. Yeah. What do you? Well, I'll caveat this with I'm not a clinical scientist, yeah. clinical scientist, um, but there are a number of different theories about kind of the causes or what exacerbates a flare. Um, I have heard of like toxic people kind of doing a detox and the chemicals they keep in the products in their home. I don't know if there are scientific papers out on that yet. Um, I'm sure that that will be continuing to be studied as the field evolves. Um, definitely stress is like, so just for my, my sample, right. I've interviewed probably close to 150 patients now. Um, and you know, of that, like 90% or something overwhelming, like my symptoms started to flare up when I had a stressor event or a trigger event, I was in grad school working 20 hours a day or, I just, you know, had a pregnancy that was really stressful or, um, there is some connection at least, uh, that they're exploring now in kind of adverse childhood events. That's actually data we capture in our application as well to see if we can connect or correlate any of that, um, to, uh, presence of different types of symptoms. Um, and so I think that that's one of our goals too, right. Is to just better understand these diseases by collecting and aggregating kind of each person's unique, uh, experiences with their condition because they are so variable and it's not super well aggregated um, across different kinds of chronic illnesses. But um, yeah, I think that there is a few different uh, kind of things that contribute to it. Genetics, I think also, mm -hmm. you know, being a core component, they, they have this interesting wheel of uh, the different genes that map to different uh, autoimmune diseases. And that there's like a lot of overlap between um, a few, a few of those. And so Again, I think as more money and research pours into this space, we're going to get more understanding. 
But um, because the phenotypes or the symptom presentation is so variable patient to patient, that's what's make, made it so hard to study. And so that's one of our main goals was how can we quantify this in a way where we can actually learn from these, um, how patients report about their symptoms mm-hmm. um, and, and kind of generate a better understanding of how to treat and manage them over time. You know, this is a classic femtech scenario where mm-hmm. we have a femtech founder who is saying, yeah, our product is actually going to discover a lot <laughs> because we don't know, you know, like we're creating a product for a problem and like we're doing research throughout that whole process. Right. Yeah. yeah. Definitely. I think, um, I think you see that a lot in this space. And I think, you know, I've been doing my own research recently and a, a few physicians in the field. I think even you probably had some guests on, um, the femtech focus, uh, you know, podcast and kind of the community that I'm not a part of. Um, that focus on just the disparities in research uh, for women's health. And it actually came up on a call with a major pharma this morning that I was talking to around how there's just such a lack of insight uh, in the clinical data. And so we need new mechanisms to capture this. And I think luckily actually women are sharers and in the communities I've studied and participated in, especially in this space, like people, you know, want to share their experiences and they want someone to hear them and what also validate them. I think that was one of the biggest needs that I saw in this space was like a lot of patients go years not being believed or just, you know, you're basically discarded with, okay, you have stress or anxiety and that's all it is. I, you know, I've dealt with certain things as well, where practitioners have said, oh, just, you know, have a glass of wine and relax. But like, not being able to see that there's actually a a symptom there. And so that was one of the things that we set out to do was quantify so that patients can say, no, my baseline is five. I'm at a nine right now. Like it's bad. Don't just take me compared to like the standard deviation. You know, my, my, my situation's personal to me. And so that's Mm -hmm. what we're really trying to get at um, and bringing out kind of personalized health for each individual patient. I love that because I actually often get asked by like my own coaches, like, how are you doing? And they say, and don't compare yourself to previous you, you know, like, because I have been really, really stressed in the past, right? I've been in a PhD program while starting a startup and fundraising. And I'm like, well, in comparison, I'm doing well. And it's like, you know, you don't always compare yourself to the worst possible time your chronic illness was inflamed. Like you're right. allowed, you should be able to live a life where you feel amazing, you know, and not just like getting by. Um, what are some of the current options for women with chronic illness? And what are some other ones? I know you said autoimmune disease. So is there other categories and what are the current options for them? Um, options from like a care virtual options. care platform or I so yeah. Care in general doesn't need to just be virtual, but yeah. Yeah. I think, um, I mean, I think patients do like, especially those that have been living with their diseases. Most of the ones I talk to are like that have been living with them for a while or like, I'm an expert in my own body. Like I know my care better than my doctor at this point, or more about some of the new research, uh, than some of my doctors at this point, I think the care journey for most patients is still very fragmented, which is something we wanted to change. Um, data is trapped in, you know, one specialist over here, another specialist over here, my primary over here, not all of them are connected or talking together. And so that was, again, one of the other uh, kind of friction points we wanted to look at and address. Um, so I'd say, you know, it's relatively fragmented. People ultimately are, you know, kind of going online, going to these communities to try and seek out resources and support from other patients who have tried different things. Um, and 
you know, there's a combination of tools in, in the toolkit, right? So some of that can be like lifestyle modifications. A lot of people talk about doing an anti-inflammatory diet. That's something we built into our application to help people kind of make that transition and just kind of gain an overall awareness of actually their foods are compounds and they actually exacerbate inflammation as well. Um, and so just kind of educating people on that about how they can do some modification on that to mitigate their inflammatory response. I think like active stress uh, management as well as another thing we're seeing kind of largely um, come out in the space and um, being kind of done conducted in trials at major medical centers as well. Um, understanding how mindfulness techniques can actually um, impact your inflammatory response. Actually, one of the wellness coaches on our team has a PhD in utilizing meditation to address the inflammatory response. So um, yeah, it's really cool. What? Are they super Zen? Are they like a super? He's like the most amazing person. I'm like, I think honestly, like my team is definitely like people that I was attracted to because I felt like I needed them. (laughs) I'm like, you're like, can you be my coach? So um, she's very wonderful. Yeah, it's a very calming uh, spirit. And yeah, that was, you know, kind of aligns with our methodology of you treat the whole person. You're not just looking at, I'm getting this one symptom and this one drug, like what is, what are all the factors of my life and really del- delivering kind of more holistic program that looks at, you know, sleep, nutrition, mental health, stress management, um, developing communities for support. We wanted to kind of pull that all into one, one thing. Um, so, yeah. Often a solution for women's health conditions is like this omni-channel treatment, um, or is it more specific for chronic illness? I think this is kind of the future of healthcare. Um, I hope, uh, because yeah, like I think we all can see like the current model is just expensive and the outcomes are not really, um, not really improving too significantly. And so I think if we can look at these other things, you know, there's a lot of independent studies on different factors of how they, uh, impact health outcomes. And so we want to kind of take this combined approach you know, I've partnered with a functional medicine doctor um, initially, and his approach to treating chronic illness really uh, mirrors with that. And so um, I think, yeah, I think we're going to see a lot of changes in the space with trying to kind of add on support and solutions because they are such big predictors of health outcomes. And I think, you know, another thing that I've heard a lot from hospital folks and other healthcare systems is around just like leveraging data to support people and like their social determinants, right? So like, do I have access to transportation? Do I have access to job? Do I have access to food? You know, and Mm -hmm. um, I think a lot of these things are, again, just constant stressors if you don't. And so helping to mitigate that in your life and then provide those resources so people can be healthy, um, I think is going to be a big change. And it's still small, but like, I feel like I've been hearing more about that over the last few years about really? health systems starting to put a greater focus on that. Yeah. Like the whole person. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. The first time I started to hear about that was when I went to grad school in 2013 in Houston, we have MD Anderson, this giant, giant, I mean, it's not one building, it's literally campuses of buildings all trying to cure cancer, right? Right, right. um, The first time I heard about like this, like multifaceted way to treat people was they at this cancer center, they have like your meditation coach, your nutritionist, 
you're a therapist and then you're oncologist, you're radiologist. And I was like, what? These people like, there's an acupuncture building, you know? And it's like, yeah, they, they're really, and I see them as like, you know, pioneers in medicine. So um, they're obviously onto something. Hopefully every, everyone, you know, you, you can just get acupuncture right in there in the waiting room <laughs> for any doctor. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that's the dream. Right. And so it's just, you know, how we think about it from a technology perspective is just, how do you make this scalable, right. Mm-hmm. And accessible to people at a uh, price point or like a, that a healthcare system can actually support. Right. Mm-hmm. So Oncology is obviously very expensive um, and having these wraparound services can support. Um, but, you know, thinking about, you know, there's two and three Americans living with a chronic condition today. And how do you actually solve for that large of a population in a scalable way? And I think that's one of the benefits of levering, leveraging technology and moving from like a, you know, direct kind of one-to-one care model, but like actually enabling um, kind of greater distribution of some of the education around how these things can help you. Cause there's just, there's just too many patients and too little time. Like I yep, talked to yep. primary care, care doctors and they're like, I'd love to talk to them about a personalized exercise plan to get their, you know, metabolic health in the right place. But like, I don't have time and I need to move on to the next patient. And so mm-hmm. I think that's where you're going to see a lot of technology come in to fill some of the gaps. I love that. Like the physician has been the fire hose and like everyone's yeah. trying to drink out of it and they got 10 minutes a person. Yeah. Yeah. Half so, of that is how do you feel, <laughs> you know? Um, and then, so you think like smart apps and like, what, when you say tech, what else do you mean? And like, maybe um, uh, your company is doing some of these things. What are some ways we can tech, tech all of this up and spread it out? Yeah, no, I mean, definitely applications, obviously. Um, I, I believe in that. Um, and I think, you know, I'm really excited about just the way we can leverage data. I've actually already seen in the research and in my previous role, like looking at how you can leverage data to actually better understand, get to quicker diagnosis for people, right? Like instead of going to 15 specialists or 20 specialists over five years for your disease, what if you could pick that up earlier in the, like in the primary care visit, right? Instead of having to see 15 specialists and take 25 tests um, so I think that's, uh, kind of the promise of technology that I'm really seeing is that, can we actually get people diagnosed and on a kind of more holistic care plan earlier, uh, rather than spending these years while their, you know, diseases are actually kind of, uh, depleting them or, mm-hmm. or impacting them in negative ways, um, and actually move people back to like a phase of health or prevent them from declining, um, so the traditional model is just not set up for that. So that's what I'm really excited about is kind of the leveraging of data to be able to kind of uh, make inferences and really uh, truly personalize health at scale, right? We're not all under this uh, kind of bell curve of like, on average, we're actually looking at what's right for Rory, what's right for Brit, um, based on our genetic makeup, based on our, you know, preferences, based on our lifestyle, like all of these different things. And I think that that's what we're going to see applied to healthcare over the next decade or more. Yeah. I mean, just as we argue, women are not little men, women amongst themselves are very different. And so we all need different treatment plans. Um, and we have different symptoms that bother us more than others. And right. um, so one size does and, not fit all. And this is not any way that I pretend to be an expert on, but just like my own kind of research about hormonal health. Right. And it is so different. And you see this in a lot of like, uh, sexual health companies that are focusing on this and 
I think it's just fascinating. I just think our biology is uh, so, so much to go in terms of what we can learn about it. And so I, I'm, I'm very encouraged by all the, you know, people, entrepreneurs in this space who are starting to think about like, how can we address the needs for those, those types of people? Totally. And the differences between us. Yeah. Speaking of like predictive analytics, I saw on your website, you talk a lot about, and we've talked about um, using artificial intelligence, AI. So how would that get incorporated? I know some of our listeners, this may be a little over their head or they're maybe AI. Oh my God, what are you talking about? But why, what is, what is AI in terms of chronic conditions and how can it be useful for women's health? Yeah, I think the goal is really to leverage kind of artificial intelligence, machine learning to really, like I said before, kind of leverage the data inputs that you're getting and utilize that to make predictions about future outcomes. And so in some cases that can be, I'm predicting a flare coming on uh, based on, you know, the impacts or the inputs we've seen in the historical data for a particular patient. Um, I think that's one of the kind of, one of the biggest areas of opportunity in healthcare is, right? What if you could prevent someone from having to go into uh, an emergency room visit because you kind of could see this coming on and you were able to outreach, uh, you know, have a clinician reach out to that patient and intervene or provide some kind of level of support before that, that was to happen. And so I think that that's where we'll see a lot of changes. And for us, you know, it's all about leveraging, again, artificial intelligence and these data structures to really personalize care. So how can we use your preferences and then learn from those preferences um, to, you know, suggest things that are more beneficial for you over time. And I think that that's just like kind of a base case uh, of utilizing that technology for that. Amazing. What are some of your future goals for your company? Yeah. So, I mean, we're like, we're early days, but uh, you know, really we're right now, we're very focused on raising awareness and getting the word out that we are here and we're supporting patients and um, we'll be opening kind of our clinic uh, very soon in the next month, I think. Um, so that's really exciting. So we're just kind of launching, kicking off now. Um, over time, you know, we of course would love to work with clinical researchers who are studying this space to actually talk to a number of folks within that space because we have the functionality to be able to kind of do these um, trials and, and kind of remote cl clinical studies at scale. Um, and then ultimately just provide a better patient experience. So we're really trying to, again, gain awareness, get patients leveraging the platform and then have them see the benefits of this kind of holistic care model, really driving, driving change in their care trajectory. Um, I think that that's like the ultimate goal for us. So I love it. Are chronic conditions or chronic illnesses usually in older individuals or is it all ages? No. Yeah. That's a common misconception. Um, yeah, I feel like, like I've had know, this people only focus on the Medicare market. <laughs> um, but there's like a huge, it's like, shocking actually sometimes seeing people living with these chronic illnesses and quite young getting diagnosed um and yeah there there's a need in the market for services for them too right like we're not just talking about the medicare population that of course as you age you have a number of chronic illnesses but this is young women their entire lives you know not being able to work or have a career or sometimes have kids it impacts your fertility and so um yeah, it needs to change. We need to, we need to bring about services and solutions that actually enable people to live longer and healthier lives. Yeah. Cause we probably see women that look healthy in our daily lives that are yeah. 
thirties and we wouldn't think at the grocery store, Oh, that person is suffering with a chronic illness. Right. But exactly. Yeah. They called invisible illnesses. Right. Um, and that's why, because on the outside you could look completely healthy, but on the inside you might be battling, you know, not only maybe like lupus or chronic fatigue or something, but also, you know, the, a lot of the stuff that comes along with that, which is stress, anxiety, depression, we see a lot of people suffering from kind of, you know, mental health issues from just the, like the long-term impacts of living with a debilitating chronic condition. So yeah, that's right. Wow. Yeah. Well, this has been so amazing. We have a lot of listeners that are aspiring femtech founders. So what's yeah. an area in women's health and wellness that you think still needs innovating? Um, I mean, besides autoimmune, um, I definitely think that there's like a number of great players in the space and, you know, sexual reproductive health. I think maternal health has had a lot of innovation. Um, I think, you know, even like things like sounds kind of basic, but cardiovascular health, I think that's like one of the number, maybe the number one, um, maladies for women actually. Um, but again, it's just treated very differently. So, um, a professor, uh, or I can't remember if she's a professor or clinician in Rhode Island actually writes a lot about this and how like the disparities and kind of detecting symptoms for women for cardiovascular health. And so I think if we could get a little bit more specific around that or some, you know, innovation around that, that could be a huge game changer for a lot of women. Just really kind of coming up with like, this is what it looks like for men who've been studied. And this is what it looks like for women. I think there's still a lot of room um, in that area. So. I love it. I totally agree. Um, you know, when it comes to cardiovascular, it seems like, well, there's so much money and there's just so much research. There's the, you know, the Heart Institute of Texas, Heart Institute of New Jersey, blah, blah, blah. And yet we interviewed a doctor a few weeks ago. She's a cardiologist and she started the Women's Heart Center. And she was like, I could not believe when I told people I want to start a heart, you know, cardiovascular clinic specifically for women, they were like, that's never been done before. She's like, what? Like nobody yeah. a heart center saying I'm going to specialize only in women's heart. Like it's always been hearts in general. And it's like, whoa, that's so crazy. Well, so you have pediatrics, right? But then you yeah. don't like, and then, but then we are treated completely the same when we know inherently our yeah. biology is completely different. So yeah. I think we will see more investment in that. Like, I think people are kind of wisening up as you probably, you know, the size of the women's health market. So um, it's encouraging because I just think we're on this new frontier of of, uh, scientific discovery for women's health. So love it. Well, our last question is, what do you think the femtech industry as a whole needs the most right now in order to be successful? Horsepower. I think... um, you know, money where your mouth is, right? Like there's all this talk about inclusivity and I think we've seen that a lot over the last year. Um, And so like, let's put some money behind things that actually impact our lives, mothers, girlfriends, you know, aunts, you know, and really kind of be as investors, I think, you know, you see, I've talked to a number of femtech investors and um, they're wonderful, but like also beating the drum amongst like the non-femtech investors of like, how can we actually get more rallied support behind that? Because I think if you make it personal, um, people can start to see that. And so that's what I mean by economic horsepower. It's like, just let's start dumping money into it. Yes. I love it. Bring in the money, everybody. Yeah. <laughs> like episode 130, 90 yeah. 
money. So <laughs> we're going to keep beating the drum. <laughs> exactly. I mean, that's, you know, that's how you see things kind of change. So, um, but yeah. Rory, you are amazing. Thank you so much for your time today. Thank yeah, you. For thanks so much for having me. me. This is a huge market. I just, like I said, calculated it the number the other day. And I was like, damn, this is actually number one. And then we had our yeah. scheduled. So I was like, wow, this is a huge, huge, huge problem for women. And I, I'm so glad we have people like you working on it. Amazing. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me. I really enjoyed it and uh, look forward to seeing more of these podcasts come out. Thank you to our sponsor, Witham, and thank you, listeners, for listening to my interview with Rory Stanton, the founder and CEO of Isla Health. If you want to learn more, visit IlaHealth.com. That's A-I-L-A Health.com. Alrighty, Femme fans, be sure to give the show a five-star review and share it with a friend. Join our virtual community at femtechfocus.org and join the thousands of other Femtech founders, investors, and mentors advancing women's health in that community. While in the virtual community, also sign up to be a Fem Pro member for only $10 a month, and that gives you access to Femtech Institute, which is a library of Femtech and startup lessons that are sure to help you advance your startup and teach you more about the Femtech industry. Keep an eye out for our monthly Femtech book club and subscribe to our newsletter. Last but not least, please consider setting up a recurring donation of Femtech Focus because we are a 501c3 nonprofit and rely on your donations to operate. Until next time, keep innovating because improving women's health and wellness improves everyone's health and wellness.